Thank you. And I just want to second what Chuck said about Kay and the academy and all those that graduated, because I watched Linda go through that. It's really basically a two-year master's level program on how to minister to people with severe trauma. And because uh, God says he's going to be bringing a lot of people like that into his church. And most of the church is not ready to receive them. But uh, praise the Lord, God is raising up a band of people who know how to confront the enemy and how to tear down the enemy's works. Amen. Well, you know, last Sunday, Chuck talked about the glory. If you were not here, if you did not see the webcast, I encourage you to go on the webcast and watch it because it was really crucial. And what I want to do today, I'm going to sort of start where Chuck left off. And my message this morning is entering the glory realm, dwelling in his presence. So Sunday, Chuck taught us about the glory. And God's glory is a very important thing for us to understand, and yet most Christians don't understand it. Chuck said we are in a presence and glory war. And I want to begin by reviewing a little bit about what Chuck said last week. He said this is a year of divine recovery, but to get there we must learn to recognize God's glory. God planted a garden where his glory could dwell. And man was given the assignment to walk in the glory and cultivate the garden so the glory could be multiplied. But Lucifer initiated a war against the glory. And our call to divine recovery is a call to see the glory of God. And so Chuck asked me to pick up where he left off last week and take us a little deeper into the glory. Now, what is God's glory? Uh, God's glory, I like to define it this way, is God's tangible presence. Sometimes it's called God's manifest presence. See, God is always present everywhere. You're never away from God. You're never, you're never in a place where God isn't. But we usually can't perceive him with our five senses. Sort of like a Wi-Fi signal. You know, there is Wi-Fi in this room right now, but your physical senses can't perceive it. You can't hear it. You can't see it. You don't feel it. But if you turn on your laptop, what was invisible becomes tangible. All of a sudden there are words and there are pictures and there are sounds that you had not been aware of. You can now experience what your senses could not perceive. And see, God is always here, but we cannot always perceive his presence. But there are times when God chooses to make himself, his presence tangible in a given time and place. 
You know, that's what people describe when they give testimonies of their encounters with God. You know, if, if you hear people give testimonies of how they got saved or how they had a, an experience with God, they usually say things like this. They'll say, I knew God was speaking to me. Or I sensed the presence of God in a way I had never known before. I didn't understand what was happening. I couldn't stop weeping. Tears were rolling down my cheeks. God was there with me. And see, in those times, everything changes. In God's presence, we find salvation, repentance, empowering, healing, provision, and fulfillment. And see, when God manifests himself in a way that you can perceive, what you're feeling is his glory. And God wants you to recognize and respond to his glory. Ask him to make you sensitive to his glory when he manifests it. You know, God's original plan for the human race is that we would dwell in his glory continually. Let's look at God's original plan. You know, God's original plan for the human race was that he would dwell with us in perfect, unbroken fellowship. And as we dwell in his presence, he pours out his blessing, meeting every need. And our response is to be thankful, giving our worship to him. And that's what Deuteronomy 28, 47 says, God was looking for a people who would worship the Lord their God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. And see, that was to be a perpetual cycle. God pours out his blessing, we give him our worship. That's, that's what we see in the Garden of Eden. When God created the human race, he did not put us in a desolate wilderness. That was not his will for us. God is good and he didn't want his children to live in desolation. He also did not put us in a ghetto. A ghetto is just a different kind of desolation. It's a place where life cannot flourish. And see, that was not God's plan for us. God doesn't want his children to live in poverty and oppression. By the way, if you feel trapped in poverty, if Satan is oppressing you, God wants you to know that he has a way to set you free. See, God didn't put us in a desolate place. He put us in an earthly paradise. God planted a garden. It was a place overflowing with life. You know, God's plan is always for abundant life. It was a paradise full of fruit trees and rivers, gold and gemstones. It was a place called Eden. God put Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. And then his presence came and they fellowshiped with him. And that was God's goal for the human race. To have a people who would rejoice in his blessings and enjoy him forever. So God started with the garden to show us his goodness. And in that garden, Adam and Eve experienced full provision and perfect health. But more importantly, they experienced perfect, unbroken fellowship with God. See, the garden was really the first sanctuary. 
It was a place where God dwelt with his people and they experienced his glory. And in that beautiful garden, God came and walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening, enjoying intimate, unbroken fellowship. What Adam and Eve experienced in Eden can be summed up in one Hebrew word. It's a word that really can't be accurately translated into English, but it's the word shalom. Shalom is often translated peace. Probably a better translation would be wholeness or well-being. It means perfect health, prosperity, and peace. It means to be safe in mind, body, and possessions. It means to be complete, lacking in nothing. Shalom is the full expression of God's goodness in your life. Shalom is found wherever God's glory dwells. And we were designed to dwell in God's glory and experience perfect, unbroken shalom. Tell your neighbors, shalom. (laughs) Number six, the priestly blessing ends with a prayer that God would give his people shalom. And you know, that's a common greeting in Israel. People walking down the street don't say, hey, how you doing? They say, shalom. What that really means is this, may God restore to you All of the blessings that Adam and Eve lost. On Shabbat, the usual greeting is Shabbat Shalom. And see, that's what Shabbat is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a taste of Eden when you rest from your weary labors and enjoy God's blessings. But when sin entered the world, Shalom was lost. Sin brought separation from God. It brought the oppression of the enemy. And that meant sickness and infirmity, weakness, pain, lack, worry, fear, anger, depression, sorrow, and death. And all of those things put together make up what's called the curse. And Satan's goal is still to oppress the human race. Jesus said Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. But you know, God has a solution to sin. His solution is called salvation. The word salvation just means rescue. Rescue from every effect of sin in your life. Now the Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua, which just happens to be Jesus' name in Hebrew. See, Jesus is our salvation. He came to restore shalom. He came to restore you to God's glory and all of the blessings it brings. And so when you come to Jesus, don't settle for just getting a ticket to heaven. You know, I prayed this prayer. Now I know I'll go to heaven when I die. Well, that is great. God has more for you than that. So press in to receive from him the fullness of the glory he wants to clothe you in. Now, God's plan to allow his people to once again dwell in his glory began back at the tabernacle of Moses. When Israel left Egypt, they lived in tabernacles, in tents, in temporary shelters. And God looked down from heaven and saw them camping in the wilderness. And he said, well, build a tabernacle for me too, and I'll come down and live with you. I mean, that's what he said, Exodus 25, 8. Have them make a sanctuary, a special place for me, and I will dwell among them. 
So they made a tabernacle for God. And when the tabernacle was complete, God's glory filled it. The manifest presence of God came down and filled the tabernacle. It was was so saturated with his glory, it says the priests could not stand up in the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle is a great place to learn about living in God's glory. Israel, first of all, was to put the tabernacle at the very center of their camp. It was the central focus of their life individually and corporately. And then they were to fill it with praise and worship. And then God gave some promises about what he would do at the tabernacle. In Exodus 29, he says, I will meet you there and speak to you there and the place will be sanctified or set apart by my glory. And then he said, I will dwell among the Israelites and they will know that I brought them out of Egypt that I might dwell among them. You know, I was reading that the other day and thought, that's something I had never occurred to me. I always thought God brought them out of Egypt to bring them into the promised land to break the power of slavery over them, to bring them into a place of blessing. But God said the real reason was because he wanted to dwell among them. Let me tell you, God wants to dwell among you as well. So let's take a closer look at God's promises about the tabernacle. First, he said, I will meet with you there. So the tabernacle would be a place where God's presence comes. God would come and visit them there just as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Then he said, I will speak to you there. That is, it would be a place of prophetic revelation. They would learn to hear his voice. And then he said, and the place will be set apart or made special by my glory. Now that's an awesome statement. God, he says God's glory resting in the tabernacle would make that place noticeably different from all other places. It would be a place to experience God's blessing and healing and provision and power. And finally he says this, and I will dwell among you. The word dwell in Hebrew is the word shakan. And it's the word we get shekinah from. See, God's Shekinah glory is his dwelling presence. You know, sometimes God manifests his presence for 10 minutes, sometimes for half an hour. He said, I want to put, I want to put my presence there and dwell. I'm not coming for a visit. God did not want a brief visit. He wants to come and stay. And you know, that's exactly what happened. When Moses completed the tabernacle, God's glory fell. And as God's glory dwelt with them, they experienced some things. They had perfect provision. They had manna from heaven. I mean, picture this, two million people out in the middle of the desert, not a grocery store in sight. Where are they gonna get food? Well, God dropped it down from heaven. This need to go out their front door and pick it up. They got manna from heaven and walking through the desert. That's sort of hard on your feet. 
not a shoe store in sight. God made it so their shoes didn't wear out. See, God daily met every need. There was complete protection. They had, there were times the enemy attacked them, but God always gave them victory. It, they, got, they had total health. Uh, in one place it says there was not one weak, sick, or infirm among them. See, they were experiencing God's shalom. Where God's glory dwells, there's shalom. Tell your neighbor, shalom. And see, that's what it's like to dwell in God's glory. So in the tabernacle, God's glory was manifested at the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark was kept in the Holy of Holies, the innermost court, and only the high priest was allowed to enter there, and he could only go in once a year to where the glory dwelt. But when David came along, David had such a heart for God. He was madly and passionately in love with God. And he wanted the glory of God to come into Jerusalem where he was. God put it in David's heart to bring the glory of God into the city. And so David pitched a tent for the ark and then he enlisted a special group of Levites to carry the ark and bring it to Jerusalem. They were special because they were carriers of the glory. Now see, David had tried another way to get the ark in there and that didn't turn out too good. But God said, no, you gotta get consecrated Levites who will carry it in on their shoulders. And so they carried the ark. They were carriers of the glory. If they didn't bring the glory in, it wouldn't get there. But they brought the ark of God and placed it in the tent that David had pitched for it. And David appointed Levites, his ministers, before the ark of the Lord to celebrate, to thank, to praise the God of Israel. See, we often think of ministry as what we do to people. We bring people in, we're going to minister to you. But David said, we're going to minister to the Lord. We're going to come around the ark, minister to him with thanks and praise. And he scheduled the Levites in the tabernacle to surround the ark with praise 24-7. And God was literally enthroned on the praises of his people. And the result was God's glory was established on the earth. You want to know where God's glory was? Well, in David's day, you just go to David's tabernacle and there it is. It was established. And that brought a golden age for the whole nation. The whole nation experienced incredible wealth and victory because God's glory was there, enthroned on the praises of his people. And see, God's glory changes everything. Even the physical universe is changed where God's glory dwells. Remember, he said, this place will be set apart. It will be made special by my glory. And you know, there was one place in the world where God manifested his presence in the same place for hundreds of years. And that was the Jerusalem temple. For hundreds of years, God's Shekinah glory was manifested in the Holy of Holies in the temple. 
And during that time, the residents of Jerusalem noticed something interesting. They saw that because of God's glory dwelling in the city, that had a dramatic effect on the whole area. It was discernibly different. Things happened in Jerusalem that did not happen anywhere else. Things that happened other places didn't happen in Jerusalem. The Jewish Talmud describes the area around the temple as a place of continual miracles. They made a list of them. I mean, these were the things they noticed. First of all, meat never spoiled in the temple. And that's amazing when you realize the temple was like a gigantic butcher shop. Animals were being killed there for sacrifice all day long, every day. But meat never spoiled in the temple. No fly was ever seen in the temple. Ooh, wouldn't you like that on your picnic? (laughs) And although the showbread and the table of showbread remained in place for a full week, it remained as fresh as when it was baked. No rain ever quenched the fire on the altar. No serpent or scorpion could harm anyone in Jerusalem. One writer said, life in the temple environs was filled with constant miracles. To a large degree, natural law was suspended. See, the natural process at work in the universe is decrease, disarray, and decay. That's part of the curse. Our fallen universe is running down, it's wearing out. As Romans 8.20 says, it has become subject to futility. But where God's glory dwells, there is shalom. The power of the curse is broken. And let me tell you something, God wants to break every curse out of your life. See, God wants to put his glory on you. He wants to restore you to the fullness of shalom. The Levites who carried the ark were carriers of God's glory. And in this year of kingdom war, God wants you to become a carrier of his glory. He wants you to take his glory with you wherever you go. Tell your neighbor, don't leave home without it. He wants the world to look at you and to see his glory on you and to see the shalom that it produces. And he wants the world to look at you and say, I want what you have. So seek God's presence every day. When you get up in the morning, get with the Lord. Do whatever it takes to know I'm in the presence of God. I can feel the glory of God with me. Let him make you sensitive to his presence. Welcome his presence whenever you sense it. And then enjoy his presence. Walk in his presence. Resolve to live your life in the realm of his glory. And I believe God's word to you today would be this. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light. 
kings to the brightness of your dawn. And they'll say, I want what you have. How did you get that? Whatever it is you got, it's what I want. So ask the Lord right now, Lord, make me a carrier of your glory. Make me a carrier of your glory. Now, Lord, I just want to call for your glory to come. Just hold your hands out to him. You can stand if you want to. You can stay sitting if you want to. But say, Lord, I want to be a carrier of your glory. I want to be a carrier of your glory. I want your glory to rest on me that I can take it with me wherever I go. Now, Lord, we just release your glory. Let your glory rest down on your people. Take a deep breath. Do you feel it? You feel the glory? God is here. God is resting on you. God wants to increase that manifestation of his glory in you to make you a carrier of his glory. Lord, just increase, increase, increase that anointing. Increase your presence, Lord. And Lord, I pray the blessings of your glory would bring shalom to each person listening today as we go through this week. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you. You desire to dwell among us and to give us shalom. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Hallelujah. Let's stand up. The Lord, the Lord wants to leave. Thank you so much, Rabbi. Let's give a hand for Rabbi this morning. Hallelujah. There's one thing I, I, the Lord wants to leave with us this morning, and he's been just speaking this to me all morning as we were worshiping, talking about fire. And when Dr. Pierce got up and he talked about us being fearful of fire, I feel like the Lord wants to leave us with this. There's a reason for this. When the Lord blew on us when we were created, when he blew on Adam, the thing that he, the thing that the word says that he, we became a living being. If you study that in deep Hebrew, he says that it means that we became living fire. The biggest, uh, the biggest trick the enemy has pulled on us is he has tried to make us fearful of our identity. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, fire cannot consume fire. And on top of that, the servant's candle was standing right next to them. So, so lift up your hands this morning. The Lord wants to leave us with this today, that we will not fear our identity any longer. When he says he's an all-consuming fire, that's you. That is you walking among the earth being fire. Everyone shout fire. So Lord, we receive this this morning. That is our identity. We are his uh, fiery ark. We are his fiery altar in the earth.
We thank you, Lord, for this right now in the name of Jesus, and we receive this today. We will not leave this place any longer, and those of you watching on the web, you will not fear your identity from this day forth. You are fire. You are the servant's candle in the name of Jesus. No matter how hot Nebuchadnezzar turns up that furnace, he can't take you out. Lord, we receive this in Jesus' name. We thank you. We send you forth this week with fire in Jesus' name. Amen.